Hey, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to week three of Collective Church. Uh, we are so glad that you're here today. Um, if this is your first time or second or third time, we're just pumped that you would be here with us uh, this morning. And, and one thing we want to draw your attention to, if this is your first time or you've been here before previously, is, is something that we do every single week, which is challenge people to try five. And this is the idea that we want to challenge you to come back five times. And so if this is week one, we want you to come five more times. If you're on week three, we want you to come at least two more times. Because we believe that if you spend five weeks with Collective, that if you hear a little bit more about us, our vision, our story, and really if you get to meet the people and spend time with the team that kind of creates Collective Church, that after five weeks, you won't want to go anywhere else. And I say that with a lot of confidence because I, I know uh, a lot of the people that are serving on Sundays and how incredible this community is. And we truly believe that if you get to know them and spend time with them, uh, you will call Collective your church home. And part of that challenge, though, isn't just to show up on Sunday. The other thing we want to do is take it a step further, and we want to challenge you to be invested in community during the week. And so during the week, we have these things called collectives, and we have three of them, and they get together, we do dinner, and we actually discuss what we talk about here on Sunday mornings. And the reason why we do that is because I recognize, and we recognize as a team, that here I am up, up on stage preaching to you and reading things to you, but you might walk away with questions uh, or, or doubts, or, or even you might hear some things that you just don't like. And so we get together as a group during the week, and we read it again, and we talk about it. And so our challenge to you is to try five. Don't just come on Sunday, but get connected in, in community. And you'll see on your connection card that was on your seat, and I know the last few rows don't have them yet. We're about to hand those out to you guys. Uh, on the connection card, you have an opportunity to check off, join a collective, because we want you to be involved in this community and meet the people that make collectives so wonderful. And so our team right now is going to hand out some connection cards. The other thing that we do every single week is that we ask you guys to fill these out. The first reason is because we want to know that you are here. Um, we'd love to know that you were with us this morning. The, another reason is at the bottom, you'll actually see on the connection cards, there's a spot for prayer. And this isn't something that like churches do just to be like arbitrary and be like, oh, we got to throw that in there somewhere. We actually put that in there because our team gets together on Wednesdays and we pray through those things. And so if you are somebody that's here today and you're like, man, I, I need prayer for, you know, whatever it may be, we'd love for you to fill out that card and let us know how we can be praying for you. Um, you know, you don't have to identify yourself. We'd love for you to so that we can follow up to see how God is working and God is moving. Um, but we want to pray for you. And so we'd love for you to fill out that card. The other thing is this. If you are a first-time guest, what we want you to do is we want you to fill out that card. But later on when we, we pass the offering, we don't want you to put it in there. We actually want you to take it to our connection table, our welcome table, which is the big pallet wall. And some things that, that we do every single week at Collective, if you are a first-time guest and you fill out a card, we actually donate to a local organization on your behalf. And right now for the final quarter, we've adopted the Frederick Rescue Mission, and they do a, a toy drive around Christmas. And so if you're a first-time guest and you fill out their card, we actually donate to the Frederick Rescue Mission for their toy drive on behalf of you. Last week, we had 29 people who were first-time guests identify themselves. And so right now already, there's $58 that are going to buying toys for kids. And what's great is we still have 12 more weeks. And so if you're here for the first time, fill out that card, drop it off at the table up front. We want to connect with you, but we also want you to invest in this community with us. Now, if you're a second-time guest and you've come back and you, you did the first-time guest thing, what we want you to do is fill out that card as well and also bring that to the welcome table because we actually have a gift for you. Uh, we just want to say thank you for coming back. Uh, we want to say thank you for, for, you know, taking that challenge to heart and trying to show up again. And so we've got the most comfortable t-shirt you'll ever wear in your life up at the front uh, at the Welcome Center, and we'd love for you to go grab that on your way out today. But ultimately, guys, we want you to fill this out because this is a way that we can connect with you. This is a way that we can invest in our community in a way that we can say thank you for being here uh, at Collective. And, and, and guys, like I say this with 100% sincerity, like we want to pray for you. 
And we know you look out and there's a bunch of people here that we've never met before, or you know, maybe we've only met once or twice, but as a church, we started this church for you. And so our staff wants to pray for you as well. And so we'd love for you to fill that out and, and bring it to the welcome table later or drop it in the offering at the end of service. So last week, I was listening to the radio when I, when I heard this story. A 19-year-old Indiana University student named Lucas Caver was on a big beginner's field trip to a cave south of the university's main campus in Bloomington, Indiana. Before heading into the cave and spelunking, the group of 12 was broken into two groups of six. And then inside of that group, everybody was given a buddy. It's a buddy system, right? You've got your one guy, you stay true to them. Now, while working through the cave, Lucas decided to veer away from his buddy and his group because he wanted to join the second group that was a little bit further ahead. As the afternoon wore on and they continued splunking through this cave, uh, eventually, it had been a few hours, the group got back together and met in the parking lot without Lucas. He never found the second group. In fact, the group got together, they got in their cars, they drove home, and completely left him in the cave by himself. So after a few hours of, of him searching and trying to find this other group, eventually he worked his way back to the entrance of the cave and found that it was locked shut. Parks and Rec had come and closed it for the night so people wouldn't go in there and stay through the night. And so here Lucas was, completely stuck in this cave. He had a cell phone, but he didn't have service. Uh, apparently at the, at the mouth of the cave, he could see a highway. And so he just began screaming, hoping that somebody would hear him. Eventually, after yelling for eight hours, he gave up and went to sleep that night. Now, during this time, the group, his group and his friends, returned to campus, but never noticed that Lucas wasn't with them. His buddy didn't notice, his group didn't notice, the chaperone, uh, the staff member at the school didn't notice, and even the, his own roommate didn't notice that Lucas was missing. Sunday night came and went, and no one realized he was gone. Monday came and went, and still no one realized he was gone. Eventually, on, tw on Tuesday night, 60 hours after the group had returned home, Lucas's parents realized that he was missing. Lucas's parents, who are also professors at the university in Indiana. And so immediately they panicked and they called the friends and they said, hey, where's our son? And they said, we don't know. We thought he came home with this group. And the other group was like, no, he was with your group. And eventually search and rescue found him at the mouth of the cave, which was still locked. He was curled in the fetal position and sleeping because he was so exhausted from screaming for 60 straight hours. Now, this story is incredible to me. Like, let's ignore, okay, so we're going to start this way. We're going to ignore the fact that he decided to leave his buddy and his group and find another group, okay? Like, that, that in its own self is just really dumb. But think about the fact that he was with a group of friends, and for 60 hours, he was gone, completely forgotten. I remember when I was in kindergarten, my dad accidentally forgot to pick me up from school one day. And I remember I would always walk down the hallway because I walked with my brother. My brother was supposed to meet me and then we'd walk home. And I remember on this particular day, my brother wasn't there. And my dad had actually picked up my brother after a field trip and brought him home. And I was left. And I remember like all the kids leaving and I'm stuck in this school. It's just me and a bunch of teachers. And I'm just like crying my eyes out thinking I'm going to have to live in this school forever. And I'd never see my parents again. And the reality was I was probably there for 15 minutes. My dad was right there, picked me up, took me home. I probably cried for days. I still remember it now. I go to counseling. It's okay. <laughs> But the reality is, like, that was 15 minutes of my life. Here's this guy who was forgotten about for over 60 hours. It makes me wonder how Lucas felt after the first eight hours of screaming, after realizing that his, his group was gone, that his chaperone was gone, and that nobody could hear him. He was so forgotten that it was like he didn't even exist. And for over 60 hours, no one knew where he was. He was completely forgotten. 
Do you know what it's like to feel forgotten? To sit back and wonder if anyone sees you, if you matter enough to even be thought about, Maybe you weren't literally forgotten in a cave, but maybe at some point in your life, and maybe right now you feel emotionally forgotten or spiritually forgotten, forgotten by friends or family, or maybe, and just maybe, you feel forgotten by God. I know for me, I kind of find it easy to understand that God might forget about me. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? The world is very big. There are world leaders, there are starving children, there are people with much bigger issues than what I have. And so if God overlooks my concerns or the things that I'm going through, I I kind of understand it. I I like to think that God had a very busy day, and so if if I wasn't his top priority, I kind of get it. But the reality is, even though I kind of understand that, it doesn't feel very good. And maybe some of you are in that place right now where you feel forgotten by God. You know, maybe you're trying to have a child, And you've been trying for a long time, and you haven't been able to get pregnant. And you're praying to God, God, please make this happen. And all you want to do is be a mom or a dad, but each month that goes by brings a consistent pain. Maybe you want to be married. You're making all the right decisions. You're trying to date a godly man or woman, and you're praying that God brings the right person, but you are still single. To make matters worse, your friends around you are all getting married, and your newsfeed is just full of engagement pictures. Every time you get online, you see people dressed in nice boots in the forest taking pictures together where leaves are kind of cascading from the sky, and it doesn't make sense. And so you unfollow them because you're like, I don't want to look at these pictures anymore. But the reality is you unfollow them because secretly you want that. Maybe you've been praying for the right job, for the pain or the grief to go away. Maybe you've been praying for the right church. But you don't see anything happening, and you feel forgotten. We're currently in this series called God for the Rest of Us. And each week we are talking about how God is for you and not against you. And last week we talked about how God is for the outcasts, people that are pushed aside by society. And today we're talking about how God is for the forgotten. And so if you're here today and you feel forgotten, please know that God is for you. Because God is for the forgotten. Today, we're going to do things a little bit differently than we've done the last few weeks. The last few weeks, I've, I've taken one story of the Bible, and we've kind of gone through it. But today, we're actually going to focus on a specific group of people, and we're going to jump around a little bit. And so it's going to be up on the screen so you could follow along. That way, you're not trying to like flip through and keep up with me. But we're going to start, and we're going to talk about the Israelites. We're going to start in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. We're actually going to start in the second book of the Bible called Exodus. And we're going to talk about these Israelites. These are people that are, that are God's chosen people. These are people that have a relationship with God. But when you know their story and you see what they've gone through, you realize that a large portion of their life, they feel forgotten. Here's a little context before we read Exodus, uh, Exodus 1. This is uh, about 1,400 years before Christ. So 1,400 B.C. And God's people, the Israelites, are living in Egypt. And this is what Exodus 1, 8 through 14 says. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave our country. Let's pause there for one quick second. So Joseph is an Israelite. Joseph is somebody who is advocating on behalf of the Israelites. And this new king comes and says, listen, I know we've taken care of the Israelites. I know they lived here kind of peacefully, but I don't want that anymore. 
He realizes that they are growing in number and he has a fear that eventually they will turn against him and try to overcome this king. And so what he does is he makes them slaves. This is what verse 11 says. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt is so afraid of them that he makes them slaves. And he doesn't just give them labor. It says they worked them ruthlessly. The result of that that we see today are the pyramids in Egypt, are the result of these Israelites being in captivity and being forced to build those for the king of Egypt. And these are God's chosen people. These are people that God interacts with and says, you are my people, I will take care of you. And here they are in slavery, and they end up in slavery for over 400 years. Imagine being an Israelite living in Egypt during that time. During that time of 400 years of slavery, they they were born slaves, their fathers were slaves, their grandfathers were slaves. It says that they were growing in number, they were multiplying. Most likely they would have children who would become slaves. How do you think they thought about God during that time? To be honest, I wouldn't blame the Israelites if they became atheists or even agnostic as they continue to look at God and be God's chosen people, but they're in this slavery. I could totally understand if they got skeptical. If you were in that position, would you think that God actually exists? I know for me it would make sense if they they thought God had forgotten them. It makes sense if every single night they talked to God and said, God, why don't you see us? Why don't you remember us? The story continues. We're going to jump ahead to Exodus 2, a little bit more context. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered this covenant with, his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So the king that hated them, the king that wanted to be slaves, eventually died. And you can tell the Israelites kind of see this as an opportunity to get out of slavery. And so it says that they cried out to God. They prayed to God, God, see us. God, don't forget about us. God, please deliver us from this. And what's really cool in this story is that everything they had gone through the Israelites still kept that faith. That even through this slavery and even through these hundreds of years of being abused and worked ruthlessly, they still had enough faith to at least cry out to God. But there's something weird about this verse that says God heard their groaning and remembered, right? When you read that, you're like, that's weird. Did God forget about them? But it's not like God's looking down on them and hears the prayer and goes, oh, the Israelites, I wonder what they've been up to. Let me check Facebook. Are they in a relationship? This story doesn't tell us that God forgot about them, but it shows us that God heard them and recognized the urgency. And here's the best part of this. Exodus 2.25, this is what it says. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. These people prayed out to God and God saw them. And so here's the first thing today. If you are feeling forgotten, God sees you and shares your concern. I'm going to say that again so that really sinks in. If you are feeling forgotten, God sees you and shares your concern. And that's true even if you don't feel it. 
Even if right now you're not sure, even if you woke up this morning coming to church, hoping that maybe you would feel like God saw you because you feel like you've been, had 400 years of captivity, God sees you and shares your concern. And the reality is we read this story and even though God sees them and shares their concern, it's still not good for the Israelites. They're still slaves. Eventually Moses will lead them out of captivity and they'll be freed and everything will get a little bit better. But in that moment when God saw them and was concerned for them, they had no idea that that was in their future. They didn't know that. They probably didn't feel it. I want you to know that God feels the same way toward you. Even if it doesn't feel like God is concerned, he is. He sees you and he shares your concern. And, and that requires some faith. It's like when someone tells you how great a show is, so you decide to watch it, but it starts kind of lame. And you're like, I don't, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to binge this show today. I'm going I'm to try something else. But you talk to your friend, your friend's like, you got to stick it out. Just get through the first season. Just get through the first few episodes. And as you start to watch it, you realize this is the greatest show ever. To me, that's Parks and Rec. If you've ever seen Parks and Rec, you know the first season's a little slow. It's a little weird. But once you get through season one, you hit season two, you're like, this is the greatest show of all time, easily better than The Office. And I, thank you. Thank you. No. What? See, you didn't stick it out. You got to watch the whole thing. The reality is you get through the first season, Parks and Rec, 10 times better than The Office. But most people couldn't get through the first season because they felt like it was slow. And some of you are in a place where you think the TV show that is your life is kind of lame right now. You're in that season where you're struggling to get through it. You're in that point of your life where you're not sure that you want to keep watching, where you want to keep moving forward, where you want to continue to talk to God or be around people who talk to God or even be at a church. And you're in that place in your life where you're like, I don't think this is getting better. But we see as God interacts with these Israelites that God sees you and shares your concern. It might not happen right away. You might not feel it right now. But God sees you. Fast forward, eventually the Israelites end up in the promised land. They settle on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea and they build up Jerusalem and Israel grows. They have this long period where they just flourish. They hit the height of their power under King Solomon and, and everything is perfect. They're no longer slaves. They have a, a beautiful city. They build up these walls around their city. It's everything that they thought God had promised them and they are there. But eventually the King Solomon, who is their greatest king, dies. And this led to the kingdom splitting. And from year 900, to 900 BC to zero, Israel is going to be dominated and attacked by nation after nation. If you look at where Israel is on a map, if you know where it is, you'll realize that they're right on the water. But in this time from 900 to zero, they were surrounded by these world powers. And in 586, King Nebuchadnezzar, who, is, who was part of the Babylonian uh, culture, rolls into Jerusalem and he destroys Jerusalem. He destroys their temple. And he takes the Israelites and makes them slaves again. And the Jewish people end up living in Babylon in captivity for a few hundred more years. Imagine how that felt. You finally feel like God heard you. You've been crying out and finally God brings you to where he says he's bringing you and you get to this place where you build up the city, you feel safe, you, you have families, but you realize that your kids aren't gonna be slaves. You have this, this freedom and then you're attacked and made slaves again. 
And what's really cool in the Old Testament is we actually get to see God interact with the Israelites during the second captivity. In the book of Jeremiah, which comes later on in the Old Testament, you see God is interacting with the Israelites. And God speaks to them. And this is what he says, Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, and again, he's talking to the Israelites while they're in captivity. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. God tells the Israelites, build houses, plant gardens, have kids, get married. He's essentially telling the Israelites, you have to keep living. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't shrink back. Continue to live your life. And one of my favorite verses of all time is is verse 7 when he says, Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. He's saying, don't just live there. Seek the welfare of that city. Try to make that city a better place because if that city is better, your life will be better. So the second thing we learn is that if you're feeling forgotten, God is calling you to keep moving, to keep pursuing him. He's saying you're not abandoned by God. You're not forgotten. But you got to keep moving forward. you got to keep serving. you got to keep growing. you got to continue to live your life. you got to seek the welfare of the city that you live in. I know for a lot of us, Frederick might be that place. Right? We might live in a community right now or a place right now where we feel like this is our exile. This is the place that God brought you and you're not sure why and you thought it would be better, but it's not as good as you hoped it would be. And the reality is for some of you, Frederick is the place where you need to seek the welfare of the city. Instead of trying to find a way out, instead of shrinking back, invest in this place, love this place, because as Frederick grows and as Frederick gets better, God shows us that your life will too, that this city's welfare is your welfare. But too often when we feel forgotten, we kind of get into these ruts and instead we just decide we're just going to quit. We're just going to give up. I'm not going to seek the welfare of the city. I'm not going to keep moving forward. I'm just going to stay where I am. We just want to sit on the sofa, eat ice cream, watch Netflix. If you're going to do that, watch Parks and Rec, people. This is the message for today. (laughs) But the reality is God says, keep moving. Even if you can't see the resolution in front of you, even though you don't know what's next, even though you want it right now and it's not happening, God says, continue to move forward. Keep going. Keep moving. In Jeremiah, God continues to speak to the Israelites. And if you've ever been to church before, I'm going to read a few verses that you've heard uh, guaranteed. We're going to read Jeremiah 29, uh, 11 through 13. This is like what Christians love. Like this is what they put on coffee cups or like knit into sweaters or put it on like a terrible meme with like a rainbow. Like this is the verse, but I'm going to explain it so it's not as terrible. This is what it says in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. God is saying to the Israelites again, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart. You can kind of understand why people love that, right? 
a lot of times you'll, you'll see people like say, okay, like God has plans for me to prosper. God has plans for me to grow. God has these plans. And our thought is this has to happen right now. But what we do as Christians sometimes is we like to forget the verses that are around it to make things sound a little bit better than they are. And actually, if you jump back to verse 10, right before this, God actually says to the Israelites, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. We like to skip that part. We like to ignore the 70 years. We like to jump straight to 11 where it says God has plans for us so everything's okay. But the reality is right before that, God says, hey, it's not going to happen on your time. It's going to happen on mine. He says, I've got good news. You just have to wait 70 years. What if God's timetable isn't your own? What if you're here today and you're hoping that it's right now, you want this thing right now, you want that job, you want to have kids, you want to get married, you want the new career, you want everything right now. But what if God is saying it's going to take a little while? How much better would it be if instead of falling back into that rut, we said, okay, if it's going to be 70 years, I'm going to seek the welfare of this city. I'm going to build community. I'm going to build relationships. I'm going to invest and I'm going to serve because at least I can do is move forward. And the reality is what we learn is that we still have to have faith that God is at work even if we can't see it and that he calls us to keep moving forward. Eventually, the Israelites make their way out of Babylonian captivity and back to Israel. And the Old Testament closes with a book of Malachi. And it's the last thing you read in the Old Testament. And there's this gap from the book of Malachi until the time Jesus is born where there's 400 years of silence. And then one day, in a little backwoods town called Bethlehem, a young girl gives birth to a boy named Jesus. And that boy grows up to be the savior of the universe. And after 400 years of silence, that boy changes the world forever. This is this word Messiah that we often use to talk about Jesus. This word Messiah actually means, uh, literally means the, the promised deliverer. And when you think about Jesus and you think about this phrase that, that these Israelites were waiting for this Messiah, they were praying to God, God, bring this Messiah, this promised deliverer. And eventually, after years of slavery and years of captivity and years of silence, God brings it. Jesus lives a perfect life and dies on a cross for our sins so that we don't have to be perfect. This hope that we need, this thing that we need in our lives. The Israelites are longing for this Messiah, someone to come and save him, and that person is Jesus. And Jesus tells us if we choose to accept him as a savior, as savior meaning literal saver of our own life, and if we choose to be baptized, we can spend eternity with God, and we never have to worry about being forgotten again. Jesus is the ultimate sign that we are not forgotten. Jesus is how we know that God is concerned for us and that he hears us. And although that doesn't necessarily solve the problems we are facing right now, and it doesn't make things perfect right now, we know for a fact that God is for the forgotten because he sent his son to live a perfect life to die for us so that we could be perfect and although I recognize that doesn't fix the ways that you feel forgotten all the time, 
That doesn't change the fact that you're still looking for that job or that spouse or that kid. The reality is when we start focusing on the bigger picture, the fact that there is a savior, a Messiah, one sent to, to be delivered so that we could live this perfect life if we choose to accept him, that is the bigger picture. That's how we know we're not forgotten. Now, the reality is not everybody in this room feels forgotten. Some of you do. Some of you know exactly how the Israelites feel. You know what it's like to be in captivity. You feel like you're in it right now. But there are a lot of you that aren't quite sure you're forgotten. You feel like, man, I've got a good relationship with God. We interact on a daily basis. I talk to God. I feel like God is moving in my life. A lot of you feel like, man, God and I are good right now. And so the question is, what do you do? What do you do with that peace that you have? In Matthew 25, Jesus tells us this story. It's actually a parable, which is uh, kind of a story with a biblical point. And he tells us this, this story about sheep and goats. And he starts by addressing these two crowds. And he says that there will come a time when God separates the world into two, two groups of people, the sheep and the goats. And this is what he says to the sheep, the people that are on his right. In Matthew 25, starting in verse 34. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Jumping ahead a little bit, these people actually respond to God and say, and, and Jesus and say, Jesus, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you in need? When did we see you in prison? And this is what Jesus says. The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus uses this parable to teach us and to teach people who don't feel forgotten by God that it's the responsibilities of his followers to take care of those who feel forgotten. The people who are sick, people who are in need, people who are in prison. These are forgotten people. Think about our society and our culture. These are people that when they're in prison and when they're in need, it's much easier to push them aside than to be in their lives and to tell them you are not forgotten. And the reality is, if we're being honest, we all forget about these people. Life is busy. You know, we've got jobs, we've got kids, we've got a lot going on. And so there's people that are forgotten. We continue to push further and further away. Most of us have people like this in our own lives right now. Their friends, their family. These are coworkers that we spend time with. And while we're in a room full of people where we're talking about people that are forgotten, the reality is when we leave, we're surrounded by them. And I know it's much easier to kind of be cynical about this. You know, if we're skeptical, if you are skeptical about Christianity, you, you can look at the world's pain and you can see everything that's going on specifically right now in the world because who knows what's going on. And you look at those situations and you say to God, God, if you are real, do something about this. God, if you are real, solve this problem. Take care of these people. Help us figure out what to do. And the story in Matthew 25 is Jesus looking to his people and saying, you are the solution. That when people cry out to God today, when people cry out because they're in need, when people cry out because they're forgotten, Jesus looks at his followers and he looks at the church and says, this is you. You're, you're why I don't have to do this because you are supposed to be the people that remember who's forgotten. There are 1.7 billion people in this world that call themselves followers of Jesus. And if you're one of those people, it's, it's our responsibility to make sure that people don't feel forgotten. And I recognize that it can be overwhelming, right? Because you want to solve all the problems. But the reality is you have to start with one. 
Jesus actually says, when you did this to the least of these, when you did this for that one person, and Jesus is saying, listen, there are a lot of people that feel forgotten. And I'm saying to you, find that one person, take care of that one person, feed that one person, visit that one person, let that one person know that you are not forgotten and I see you. The reality is if you are a follower of Jesus, you are how people know that they are not forgotten. A few years ago, I was working in a church in Annapolis, and our small group decided to adopt a local nursing home that we would go to once a month to kind of spend some time with these men and women who lived there. And, and so we went to them and said, hey, like, how can we serve you? You know, what are the things that you would want from this, this group of people? And they actually told us that they wanted to sing together. And so it was around Christmas, so I was like, okay, like we'll do Christmas carols. And once Christmas ends, they actually wanted to sing kind of like old school hymns. And so as a group, we decided, okay, we're going to do this once a month. But if I'm being really real with you for a second, I did not want to do this. I'm an introvert, and I'm awkward around strangers. Uh, my grandparents passed away when I was really young, so I don't know how to interact with other people's grandparents. Uh, I hate Christmas music. hate it. Despise it. We're actually doing a series uh, during Christmas on Christmas music, and it's slowly breaking my soul. Um, I can't sing. So just in general, I really, I really didn't want to go. And, and my wife at the time was pregnant, and so I tried to use that as the excuse, like, hey, you know, we can't, she's pregnant. Like, we got to stay home. I get it. Yeah, I'm, I'm the worst. Actually, and again, I worked at this church, so. Uh, and I get it. Like, it, it was just really hard for me. And even though I was incredibly uncomfortable, my wife and I, we joined our friends once a month to sing songs and hang out with the men and women who lived there. A few months in, as we got to get to know these people, they started to get a little bit more comfortable with us. And, and so before we got there, they'd show up a little bit early, and they'd stay a little bit late. And one night, a British woman actually came up to my wife, and she pointed at my wife's stomach because she was pregnant, and she goes, you're going to have a boy. <laughs> and we had pictures that showed we were having a girl. And so I was like, well, no, it's, it's a girl. And she's like, trust me, I know these things. You're having a boy. And, and I remember looking at her going, I don't know how to talk to you. So I, I literally just got up and walked away. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And so I abandoned my wife, and I let her stay to have a conversation uh, um, with this woman. And later that night when we were driving home, my wife actually asked me, like, why'd you walk away? And I was like, I don't know how to talk to people, so I'm just going to go sit in the corner. It's just easier that way. And I jokingly asked her, okay, you know, what was your conversation like? Did you try to convince her that we were having a girl? And Ray actually told me that after they talked about kids, this woman opened up and, and told Ray that she reminded her of her own daughter. And seeing her pregnant reminded her of the grandkids that she had overseas. And she continued to share this story that, that she got married and she had a bunch of kids. And after her kids were old, her husband decided to leave her. And she eventually found somebody who was in the United States who was working in Maryland for a government job. And so she actually left her family to go live with this guy after they got married. And a few years in, he passed away. And she found herself in a, in a new country far away from her family. And her health began to deteriorate, and because her husband was a government contractor, she had insurance, but only in the United States. So they put her in this assisted living home, away from her family, and completely alone. And she shared with Ray that night that her favorite time of the month was to show up and be around people, because it was one of the few times where she felt like she wasn't forgotten. So here's the final thing today. The way that the church shows that God is for the forgotten is through his people being present in the lives of the people that feel forgotten. It is the church's job to show up and let people know you are not alone, that you matter, that God sees you, that he's concerned, that he hears you, 
that he knows your prayers. And this is the church's job. And this is what people do if they follow Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're one of those people saying, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, my challenge to you is this. Find that one person. My goodness, it is not hard. You could walk out of the school and walk two blocks and find a ton of people that feel forgotten that don't just feel forgotten by church, but feel forgotten by society, that feel forgotten by their family. It's a quarter mile away. I know for us, when we came here to start this church, that was one of the things that we wanted to focus on. We know we can't solve all the problems. We'd love to. We'd love to stop hunger in the city. We'd love to help end homelessness in the city. The reality is, we don't think we can alone. But one of the reasons why we started this church is because we realize the way that people know that God is for them when they are forgotten is through this church. So if you're feeling forgotten today, I just want you to know that God sees you and he knows. And he wants you to keep moving forward. If you're not feeling forgotten today, God is calling you to reach out to those around you that feel like they are to let this community know, to let this church know, to let your neighbors and friends and family and coworkers know that they are not alone and that God is for them. Let's pray. God, we, we don't envy the Israelites. God, I don't think there's anybody here that, that looks at that and says they want that for their lives. But God, we recognize that so many of us today feel that way. God, we feel forgotten. So God, I just pray today that as a church and as a community and just as people, God, that we recognize that you are for us and that you hear us and that you're concerned. And God, I pray that we keep moving forward. And God, I, I, we recognize that it's not always on our time. We want it right now. That's the culture we live in. We want everything right now. We want to feel remembered right now. We want to feel like we matter right now. And God, we know that it doesn't always work that way. God, I, I hope that as we leave, we know that you love us and care for us. And God, I pray as a church, as a collective, as, as the people who call this place their church home, and as the team members who are a part of this church, that we realize that part of the way that people know that they're not forgotten is through this church. And God, if collective ever forgets about that, pray that you shake things up. God, that we always remember that it's our responsibility to let people know that you care for them. God, we thank you and we love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.